Welcome back to the GOAT Zoom Room, everyone. I'm Caitlin. Of course, he's Andy, and we are joined by 2012 NHC winner and Eclipse Award-winning handicapper Michael Baychalk today. Um, first question I have you for you guys is, where's the green? <laughs> you know, it's not only today, it's not only St. Patrick's Day, it's also my wife's birthday. So uh, I don't know. That's a great question. I should have put on my green shirt, my Tulane shirt today. But I, I didn't. Good question. I don't, Free pass. I, I don't. I don't think I have any green. So it's kind of like one of those things. I just don't like green. It's just one of those weird things. This does 2012 seem like a long way away? Because I literally thought you had won the NHC championship like maybe four years ago. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, it does. No, it doesn't seem like it's that long ago. It's hard to believe that, you know, when we go next year, it'll be ten years. Uh, it it, see, it does seem like it was just around the corner. Um, you know, I, I constantly get reminded of it all. You know, which is great. Um, uh, some of the money is still left over from the million dollars, which is also kind of great. Uh, I joked that when I won the money, you know, people said that, oh, that's a lot of money. And my, my, my joke was, yeah, I'm almost even now, you know, after 30 years. Uh, so, um, golly, it does. It seems like it was just yesterday, you know, and I've been trying to get another one ever since. And, I, you know, that's just that's a that's a pipe dream. That's that's um, something that only a few people have ever come close to. But I hope at least I get a chance in the next couple of years to to get in the final table and just try to win that second one, which would be totally epic. Um, and maybe I just walk off at that point. Right away into the sunset. Yeah. How many final tables have you had since you won in 2012? So we didn't, we didn't have a final table set up in 2012. It was a, it was a two day uh, tournament. Um, they didn't go to a final table until probably 20, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to guess say 2016 ish, but I've made, you know, the top 25 um, once before. And I'll, I've been in the final day since I've gone to the three day format once uh, since 2012. Um, I mean, it's just okay. hard, you know, I mean, you look around and you see how many people, that's a great question. How many people have made the final table twice? I think it's it's a very 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 short list. It may be one person, one or two people, you know. And of course, nobody's won it twice. Um, I think it's just a very it's you know it's just the format that it is. It, it just there's a lot of luck involved, uh, you know, just like there is on an everyday basis. But it's so short term that the luck is just magnified. You know, whether you, you can kind of outrun luck over a year, but you can't really outrun it over, you know, three days. You really have to have it on your side. You can't lose any photos. You can't have bad trips. You know, everything really has to go your way. So um, even if you're handicapping well. So I know NHC got pushed back last year. I went to my first one, or I mean, this year it got pushed back. I went to my first one last year, really, really enjoyed it. Thought it was exciting. It was really cool to cover. So what do you think are, are the protocols going to be like? How is it going to be so much more different this year? 
Well, it's in August, so the tracks are different. You know, instead of uh, <laughs> aqueduct and laurel, uh, you know, uh, we'll, and, and oak lawn, which is great, you know, we'll be feasting on the best racing in the country at Del Mar and Saratoga, which, you know, um, I think, you know, I don't know how that's going to play out. Uh, I, I tend to like laurel and, and, and oak lawn especially because um, I know people don't focus on Oakland very much from around the country. A lot of East and West Coast folks and, you know, us Midwest people, Southern people, that's our circuit. Um, so that's Oakland's always been a good track for me. Um, and then the protocols, you know, who knows, Caitlin, at this point, you know, we don't know what August looks like. Um, right. Hopefully it looks like we're on the same trajectory that we are now and it looks a lot better, but, you know, I've just learned over the past year and a half or year now, just, just, you just don't know what's going to happen. So I'm hopeful that we're able to get together because the, one of the best parts of the, the NHC, as you know, probably now is, you know, you meet people that you have become friends with on Twitter or social media, or you see their names in contests that you play every day and, and you don't know who they are and you like to meet them. Some of them you like to avoid, but you know, you got to find out whether you want to avoid them once you get there. Um, and it's just, a, you know, it's it, we have a group of folks, just like a lot of people have groups of folks, you know, probably six, eight, ten of us that, you know, we really look forward to getting together every year and, and catching up and socializing. And I think that's really, you know, that's really what it's mostly about for horse players. If you're not in contention, you know, on late Saturday or Sunday, it kind of turns into a big party, which is great. Yeah, right. I think I think the funny thing was is this year was the first time I went to Oakland with a group of people. You know, usually I go to Oakland by myself. This year I went with a with a big group of people, and it was an entirely different setting, situation. There was a different vibe to it, and I was trying to make my first NHC last year, um, as far as qualifying was concerned, and then COVID hit. But I had like a list of tracks I was going to hit for for points and that went right out the window. So now I'm trying it this year. So we'll see how it goes, but. Yeah, I, I would recommend it for anybody that uh, isn't even qualified. It's just such a good time. I mean, you know, you're in a room, everybody, it's, it's exciting. It's, you know, we don't usually, I mean, I don't go to the track as much as I'd like to on, in person anymore. The fairgrounds is an hour away. Evangeline Downs is an hour away. I might, I'll, I'll get to the fairgrounds in a normal year you know, 10, 15 times. Um, but it's just being with all those people. I went to the fairgrounds a couple of weeks ago under, pro, uh, you know, COVID protocols and it was, it was awful. I mean, there's nobody there and it's just, it, it just feels so empty. And it, that's part of, you know, you forget that that's really part of why you go to the track is for the fans and the, you know, the horses to smell them, to look at them and, see them and and just to be with people and have a good time it's a social you know mostly it's social social entertainment and you just lose that but the nac is just it's such a great it's just a good time you know you you know one of the reasons why i wanted you on was because of you know the debate about takeout we had jonathan stetton on here and he said the same thing you know basically anybody's going to play the races because most of them just want, want to play them. So how, how do we go about trying to educate the horse players that 
have a tendency to play racetracks that aren't player friendly because of rebates. Wow. I mean, that's a multi-layered question. Uh, you know, I don't know that we have to educate. I don't know that what I would want to focus on if I was in a position of authority and influence is educating the track owners, basically, you know, Stronark, Churchill Downs, Naira, into accepting the math of lowering takeout. And if we just accepted math as we accept science for COVID, we'd be in a much better place. Because the math says clearly, if you lower takeout, you will have more churn, which is, you know, a guy or a woman who has a hundred bucks and he's going, he or she's going to the track, you know, they're going to get more of that. They're going to put more of that hundred dollars into action if you take out less of it as the day goes on. And of course, over the long term, it's even more amplified. So that hundred, instead of being bet, you know, I don't know what the numbers are, let's say 2.2 times. That, that 100 is going to be bet 2.8 times. So you're going to increase handle, lower takeout, but the difference between the two is going to equalize or even get better because we'll have more people play. You're, you're churning more money, and so you're creating more tax dollars. It's a simple, simple equation. I don't think, however, and I want to be careful, you know, I just don't think that the, 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 the tracks, the ownership groups – are really interested in, in, in increasing handle um, or increasing players at this point. Um, and the reason for that is because they're more concerned about their casino licenses and their casino revenue than they are about their horse racing revenue. The, the, the issue is as long as they have their, their horse racing, they can continue their casino revenue and casino licenses because they were predicated on having a horse track. But I don't know how long that's going to exist. When when does the day, Andy and Caitlin, when does the day come up when Churchill Downs, and I'm not singling them out it for, by any means, but they go to the state and they say, hey, you know what? We're operating the fairgrounds here in Louisiana. But you know what? It's really costing us a lot of money. We have to maintain the backstretch. We have to employ people. We've got all these barns. You know, we'd really just like to have a casino. And then we could make really more money for the state. And the state may say, okay, whatever, you know, as long as they get their piece. And I'm just really worried that that's where we are, that that's where we're going. Um, well, that, that's the exact, that scenario that you just played out is exactly what happened in, for Illinois and for Arlington Parks. You know, they got their, they got their casino license with a, tra with a casino that's just down the street. Yep. They get to keep it and they don't need the racetrack anymore. So now they can sell it and make it whatever they want. And I mean, I kind of like what they've done here in, in Houston. I think it's it should be a business model that should be used elsewhere that doesn't allow for casinos to be run in a state or on the racetrack. And that's, look, I mean, Houston is a good example of 99% of the people probably own horses here in Houston. So they need to buy supplies for that. So they tax them. And then half of that money goes to the back to into the horse racing business, so they're getting twenty five million. It's estimated it could go up to fifty million at some point, but because of the low takeout, more churn, like you said, and all of a sudden they've done a double raise in purses 
already this meet. They've gone, they basically have higher purses in Gulfstream Park right now for lower level claimers. Yeah, well, that, you know, that's not saying much because Gulfstream Park, the championship meet is, uh, well, that's not really <laughs> <laughs> something else. It's crazy. But yeah, I mean, I wish there was a track, you know, like Sam Houston is doing part of it because their, their takeout is probably one of the lowest in the country where they are getting a lot of churn, you know, and, and if another track would take on that model in a bigger, you know, a bigger market, maybe we could, there, there needs to be some lone wolf that goes out there and does it and proves it. Otherwise, there's really no reason for anybody, any other track to take the chance that, it, that it's going to happen. So what do you feel about the way Indiana is doing it this year? With the with them cutting some of the low takeouts on the pick on the pick fours and the pick fives and the and all that, you know, like I said, I mean, I think for the and I'm going to call them, you know, the smaller uh, tracks, you know, I think it's going to work for them. But until a major, you know, a major major track does it, we don't we're not going to really have the impetus for another major to do it. You know, oh, they're going to say that's fine for Sam Houston, that's fine for Indiana Grand. You know, but we can't do that at Keeneland. You know, we can't do that at Saratoga. I mean, so until one of those does it, I don't think it's going to happen. And that's unfortunate because for people like me, I'm just, I mean, look, I'm thinking, I mean, and I'm close to, to getting out of the horse racing that, because there's other options for me that are better in terms of takeout. Like we don't have in Louisiana uh, fantasy sports yet. Almost in the next month, we will. If when we do, my handle on horse racing is going to go down a lot because I, I just the, the takeout on fantasy is better, um, and I enjoy it. You know, so I'm just I'm just going to be a little bit smarter with my money. Same thing for sports betting. You know, we're in an environment where every state is in the process nearly of legalizing sports gambling. How the heck are we going to try to explain to somebody? That if you bet, you know, $100 on LSU and the take is, you know, 3.5% or whatever it is, uh, the hand, the, you know, the takeout where, oh, but you can bet up to 100 to win on American Pharaoh and we're going to take 22, per, 22 cents out of your dollar. How's that sound? It don't sound too I mean, good. Mm-mm. No, I mean, you know, the pro, like for the state of Texas, it's really difficult because they're so staunchy that. I'm pretty sure that they're going to be the last state to ever implement sports gambling, poker rooms, casinos, all of that. But you know what? I'm yeah. okay with that because, you know, it's not like I can't just go over the border to Louisiana and do it, you know? So right. what, what have you now? I know, I know there's a story to this, but, and I don't remember which one it is, but Glorious Dancer, Gift of Music, which one is the one that you bought after your NHC win? Glorious Dancer. And that was the one that ended up winning you the NHC, correct? Yeah, she won the the last race of the contest uh, by a nose. Uh, She was a maiden. So that was her first win um, at Golden Gate. And uh, yeah, I claimed her. She, she then ran again. She was running maiden 12-5 claimers, and then she may have run for 7,500 once. And I think she ran again for 62-5, 6,250. Uh, and I just – and she didn't perform very well. And I just knew that, you know, in Golden Gate, you know, there's – 
there's not much more bottom there um, at that time. So, you know, she was on her way. She could have been on her way somewhere where she, she would have ended up in a really bad place. Um, so I claimed her with, you know, some interest in racing her, but really just making sure that I had control of where she was going to end up. And we ran her a couple times. Steve Sherman, Art Sherman's son, trained for me. Just a terrific fella. Uh, we actually won a race with her. Uh, and then she came up with a little injury. And he said, look, we're going to have to, you know, lay her off or do this. And I said, look, it's no, it's, you know, just, I'm going to bring her back to Louisiana. So I brought her back here, retired her, and turned her over to the Louisiana Horse Rescue Association. And uh, they found her a home. She's a she's a a, a polo pony. Uh, she goes she she goes she's twelve now. I think I'm not sure. If she's I think she's still competing. COVID stopped her this year. But she would go all over the country and the world. She would go to South America, Florida, uh, competing as a polo pony. So she's living the life of Riley, which is perfect, you know, for her. And I'm just so glad uh, that she got to you know enjoy some of the her life and cause I got to enjoy my life uh, much more cause of her. Uh, and it's just been a very, a, a passion of mine since then really opened up my eyes a lot about how we weren't really, this is 10 years ago, right? So we were in such a different place with thoroughbred aftercare then as we are now. Um, we're still, you know, in a process, I think of, we have a lot of work to do. But uh, as horse players, Andy, I think you, you know, 10 years ago, we hardly probably gave any thought at all to really, you know, aftercare. Uh, I certainly didn't. Um, and I think that's really changed a lot. I think, you know, some of your voice, Caitlin's voice, you know, us communicating and making sure that it's a part of our conversations with other horse players has changed that. And uh, I think we're in a much, obviously a much better place, but there's still, you know, you open up your Twitter every day and, and you know you're going to see uh the deputy you know in a kill pen yeah. in california and, and this goes on every day in louisiana where we have horses in kill pens um now new york has taken some some real um progressive action where they've banned thoroughbreds from being in kill pens so I'm, I'm hopeful that that legislation can be a model for other states uh and they can they can adopt that so we can make it a crime, you know, when, when there's a horse, a thoroughbred tattooed horse in a kill pen, cause there's just no reason for it. I mean, there's just, you know, there's just no reason at all. So hopefully we can get that passed in Louisiana and other States pretty soon. I, I, I got my first off track thoroughbred from Brad McDonald at Santa Anita. I used to grew, I used to take care of him for Jude Feld. And he broke down after Brad claimed him and Brad was going to just, Brad didn't know what to do with him. And he had a really bad torn suspensory. And I was like, I went over to Brad and I said, I'll take him. I go, how much do you want for him? He goes, you know what? He, you'll be lucky if he survives this. And I'm like, okay, I'll take him. Took him. Barry Abrams and Roger Stein let me use one of their stalls because it was empty. I had him on the track for 60 days and all he did was, was stall rest. And then had the best shoers come in and and do some work on him, send him to a farm. And he ended up becoming a cross-country jumper because he just loved to compete, but he didn't want to be a racehorse. He just wanted to be able to run around and have fun and enjoy life. So I'm 
I always say it when at the end of my tours at old friends, when I do my tours there, that if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be in this business. And if I can do anything to help them out, I'm going to. And I think more people need to have that same mindset. Yeah. You know, when we can, when, when somebody can go and spend, you know, $500,000 on a yearling, um, you know, I'm not, a, I mean, this is kind of a liberal idea, you know, taxing the wealthy, but you know, what, 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 what is, what is another five grand for that foal to go into a pool of money for, for aftercare, you know? Um, and I mean, we spend hundreds of millions if you know, a billion dollars, you know, on horses. Uh, we, we, you know, is it asking too much? You know, we, we just instituted in Louisiana a $5 uh, per entry fee to go to aftercare. Um, now, it's not raising tens of millions or millions, but it raises a couple hundred grand a year. And, it, and you know, that's something. I mean, that's, that's, that's 250000 more than we were doing last year. So, you know, that just a, just a little $5, $10 entry fee on every, that's nothing. You know, we can, we can afford that. Um, I don't think it should fall, you know, anything should fall on um, the horse players. You know, I, I think we pay enough. Uh, you know, the one thing I'm really concerned about is with the new HISA Act, you know, like where are they going to fund it? Uh, it's going to be very expensive. It's a $50 million a year enterprise, probably. Who's going to pay for that? You know, oh, I we mean, are <laughs> not this one. I'm not paying. I mean, I'll, I'll just, I'll give it up. That's just, you know, and I think that's been made clear to some of the people that are supposedly, you know, going to be, have some authority, but that's just a non-starter. I mean, that just, but totally... how come, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but how come you're not part of that? How come you, you <laughs> probably lend a voice better than anybody in this business? And I sincerely mean that it's like, if I have a question, if I if there's something that I need to know about legislation or something like that, I come to you, right? Because well, I know that if I go to you and I listen and I read what you tweet, I'm going to learn something and I'm going to be like, you know what? That's the right way to go. I appreciate that. Um, um, let's cross our fingers and hope that I am part of it. Okay. There we go. We're crossing. All right. Thank you. We should know soon. Hey, look. We should know. Kate, Caitlin usually likes to do this fun stuff at the end of our shows. So be warned. Now I'm nervous. <laughs> you got to turn your, she does this every single time with the mute. <laughs> it's because my Wi-Fi sucks and it cuts me off at least one time before these videos are over. It always cuts me off, so I'm always on mute by the time I go to ask another question. There was one thing I did wanna ask before we get to that. Um, back to the aftercare, I'm sure you've seen plenty of the stuff going on with capping the stud books. Do you think that's going to make a really big impact on aftercare, kind of? I don't know, Caitlin, that's a good question. I mean, I know that's a, you know, that's a very uh, controversial issue. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the motivation is for that. Um, I mean, we've lost, not lost. We've, uh, you know, we our full crop is so is so much smaller than it used to be. I'm not. I, I don't. I don't. I kind of don't understand how capping sires 
if that drives the full crop down or is that just driving it to other sires probably? I don't know. I'm not involved in the breeding part. Um, I kind of tend to like the free market. So if somebody <laughs> wants to breed, you know, uh, American Pharaoh 400 times, you know, let the market take it and see what, what the price can be. Anytime you put on limits and artificially and, and it just doesn't feel right to me, but I don't, I don't know enough about the breeding industry to, to know why they're, they're interested in doing that. Yeah. I just wondered if you really had an opinion on it because being in Louisiana, I'm sure you've seen the worst of what not having aftercare can do. And I didn't know if it was something that you felt would hurt or would better thoughts of aftercare for horses. If maybe we didn't have as many running or if there wasn't as many fold if we don't have as many foals, I mean, we're, you know, we're looking at races every day that have, you know, look at California and, mm -hmm. and you know, they have five, six horses. I mean, and, and Gulfstream, I mean, we, you know, we just don't have, we, we run too many, this is a whole nother can of worms. I don't want to open, but we run too many races. Yeah. Well, I mean, too many races. Huh? <laughs> Well, how do you want to get, you can open those? Yeah, let's do it again. Races. I mean, we, we, there's just too many races. I mean, we, we run too many dates, you know, and, and that's a whole nother argument with the horsemen, you know, um, they, they, they need to be educated that it's, again, it's more the takeout math. It's just math. You need to, you know, we need to educate people that if you run fewer races, but for more money, um, you know, you're, you're still going to get your day rate because that's how you get paid but you're going to make more money because the purses are going to be bigger because there's fewer races. So that's a whole nother, yeah, whole nother, whole nother hour and a half. <laughs> Less <laughs> is more. No doubt. So I guess back to the fun stuff. If you had a horse running right now, who would be your go-to trainer? Oh man. Okay. Uh, I don't want to piss off two of my very good friends. So what I would do is I would, I would, it would go to Al Stahl or Tom Ames because these are two of my good friends. Tom, of course, has had, well, they've both had tremendous, you know, they've had grade one success. Um, and they're very good horsemen. You know, uh, they take care of their horses. Al and Tom, they, when, whenever a horse needs time, you know, they're both going to give it to them. So that would be, those would be, I would have more fun with those two guys uh, than, you know, than anybody else. Uh, but, you know, I, Brian Lynch trained for me one time. He was a super fella. Uh, he's a good trainer. He's a good guy. I mean, it's all about ha having fun. Um, right. So oh, those, oh, Lynch yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lynch, Lynch is a lot of fun. No doubt about Lynch it. Uh, so that, Al Stahl or Tom Ames. And I don't know how I'd split it up. I'd have to get two Just, horses, one, one to each. What just, about Jockey? Just hold on. Just a okay. quick, quick thing on Lynchy. When I was working at Santa Anita with a barn, Lynchy was galloping for Leonard Dorfman. And you know that thick Australian accent he has. He would hot walk Dorf's horses because he did, Dorfman only had a hot walker and a, or a galloping and a groom. And Man, some of the stories Lynchy would tell about his days in Australia were just, I, every morning I'd crack up. It was the greatest thing in the world. So yeah, I could, I could just see Lynchy he, he just was having a, a good time. He was a rodeo cowboy, like, like a real oh, I, rodeo cowboy in Australia. He didn't tell me that. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, he, he's a, he's a rustler. I mean, he, he doesn't, he doesn't miss any good times. I can tell you. Okay. Jockey. Wow. That's tough. I'm going to still go. I would go if I couldn't get Rosie Napravnik to come out of retirement or Julie <laughs> Crone, who is my favorite jockey of all time. Uh, I still would go with Johnny V. You know, he's just, he, he, you know, you think about him and he's like, oh, he's kind of past his prime or everything, but I think he won the Derby last year. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, so, I mean, if he's winning the Derby, he's still, I don't know whether he's decided, you know, he's not riding as much or working in the morning as much anymore, but I mean, big races come along and I, I would, I don't have any issue with John Velasquez riding my horse. I think he and Mike Smith have kind of taken the same approach. We're not going to do as much in the morning, but big races, we're still the big money riders. So we're going to be here. Um, if you could win any race in the world, that's not the Kentucky Derby, what would it be? The Travers. Okay. Hands down. I love Saratoga. I mean, it's just, uh, it just feels so home to me. Uh, I've been to the Del Mar a couple of times and it's just a different vibe. Saratoga mm-hmm. is just, it's just heaven. So uh, it would be the Travers. After we won the Louisiana what? Derby. <laughs> what? <laughs> What got what? What horse started your path toward racing? I think affirmed uh, Seattle Slough and affirmed. I kind of got into it in when I was like 12, 13 years old, and so that was mid 70s, 76, 77. Um, and uh, kind of followed affirmed. I like Stevie Cawthon, uh, and that kind of got me into wow, this is pretty cool. I mean, so yeah, I would say affirmed for sure yeah las barrera las barrera used to walk around santa anita after affirmed and he would tell people that he would pull down his shirt and he'd be like you see the scar here from his heart surgery so you see the scar here the scar the scar here affirmed gave me the scar (laughs) (laughs) because he would he would battle with alidar and be so close well, he had affirmed had the biggest heart. There's no question. He had less talent than Ali Dar, but a bigger heart. What horse? What horse now kind of catches your eye that you're kind of? Oh, like, that's a gr- I love. You know, that's a good question. So I'm in love with a horse that's running on Saturday at the fairgrounds. Uh, 91 Assault, and 91 Assault has won seven out of 11 turf races at the fairgrounds. He's uh, owned and trained by Tom Morley. Um, Maggie Wolfendale's husband. Uh, and I've been imploring them for the past two years to run him in the Mervyn Munez, which is our big feature turf race on Saturday. I think it's 500,000, maybe 400, maybe 400. He's a Louisiana bred. So normally he's running in these Louisiana bred stakes. Of course, he's beating up on them, but he, I just think he needs, he has earned, I've told them he's earned his chance to run. <laughs> against the big boys. So Saturday he gets his chance and I'm, I'm just, I'm going to be, you know, pulling for him and hope he gets a piece of it. He's certainly not as fast as those, you know, but he just loves that course. And I just think he runs fast as fast as he needs to run to win. And I think he's, he's got, he's in with a shot and he's going to be in with a, you know, 15 to one chance. And wouldn't it be a unbelievable story for a Louisiana bred horse, you know, Tom Morley, Maggie, to win the, you know, the big turn and take out the big boys. So uh, that's, that's my current horse crush right now. 
That race came up really, really tough, I thought. It did. I feel bad that I implored them to get in there because they're, you know, <laughs> Colonel Liam is in there and like, oh my God, how did he come? Why did he come over, you know, uh, and cross borders coming back? And, oh, uh, you know, but look, he, this horse loves this course. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll see, you know, he, he, he needs to step it up and run probably his best race, but uh, I'm hopefully he gets a piece of it at least. Have you had a look oh. at the Louisiana Derby yet at all? I just took a little glance. Um, yeah, a quick glance. I mean, I'm, I'm a big, I have been a big fan of Mandaloon. I hate to bet chalk, Me too. <laughs> but I just think he's getting better and better. And Brad Cox has brought him along slower, you know, and he's a gutsy little, he's gr grit, gritty horse. And uh, he's going to take a lot of beating on Saturday. I think, I think he's going to take a lot of beating. So. That's probably where I'll land. Impressions on Rebel Stakes real quick? I mean, uh, <laughs> that was the concert, the, the concert tour race. Is that, yeah, that was the Rebel? Yeah, that's yeah. the one. It's amazing to me how a trainer can come up with Yahtzee every year and now two and three times a year with three-year-olds. So uh, that's all I'll say about that. We can, we can delete this part if you want. <laughs> I don't care. I've been very, very vocal about it. Uh, one week, one week I was, we were doing the show and I had a t-shirt I wanted to wear and Caitlin mixed it just in case we could ever get them on. Um, so we don't do that. Uh, but I think we it's just one of those want. things to where I, I just think it's, you know, Bobby, Bobby Frankel's probably the greatest trainer I've ever seen next to Richard Mandela. He couldn't get as many horses turf even, and he, he focused on turf horses, but people forget he, he was great on dirt too with some of his horses. And he couldn't do that. That that just boggles the mind to me. That's that's yeah. the way I I like to say it. It's a bit out of the realm of statistical probability. Even though he gets probably you know the best horse flesh of any trainer, it still is out of the realm of statistical probability that you come up with what are you know uh, horses of a lifetime. Every, every year. year and multiple horses, you know, I mean, he's got this year, you know, concert tour, life is good. Uh, everybody was raving about the, the Bezos. Uh, I mean, he's got, you know, he'll just, and when you look at his horses, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I, I, I can barely tell if they have four legs. I'm not a horse appearance person, but when I see his horses on track compared to other horses, they look like monsters. They literally are bigger in every aspect, just huge horses. They just dwarf and it doesn't look natural. Is what I'll say. It just, it just, it just shocks me. And, you know, we talk about out of, co out of competition testing a lot. Uh, those of us that know when they're doing it or when we kind of get a vibe when they're doing it. And all of a sudden you see, I think the best example of it was 
There was one year at Santa Anita where they didn't allow Lasix. He had a ton of loaded two-year-olds, and they all didn't fire because they, they weren't allowed Lasix, and they all looked tucked up, and they looked like they were they, they weren't putting on any weight, and it was like, hmm, okay. So we'll see. I guess we'll see. I, I guess that's one of the big reasons why we should, like, try to wean horses off of medications. If they can do it in Europe, there's no reason why they can't do it here. That's, that's a whole other thing. And I think, and I don't know what you guys think, but I think we've conditioned the breed so much to rely on Lasix that they don't do that in other countries and they can run without it over here. They just won't give them a chance to really run without it because so many of them don't need it. There's only a small handful. It's not even 10% that are going to bleed and there's some that bleed with it. So, I mean, it's just, that's another exactly. We're going to be sitting here. (laughs) Michael, Michael and I are, are, of the same age, you're a young whippersnapper, Caitlin, but we can remember when Lasix was only used as a last resort. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. rarely would you see an L next to a horse's name in the 70s and the 80s. Yeah. It just started in the mid-90s, and it's really bad. And look, horses, as far as I know, horses are running without Lasix right now, you know, in these stakes races, uh, and hadn't really seen – have you seen anything happen? I mean, how's it going? Pretty damn good, right? So, again, yeah. I'm not an anti-Lasix. I'm not a pro-Lasix. I'm somebody that says, let's talk about it. Yep. So, do you have anything you'd like to plug while you're here? <laughs> I don't I don't plug. <laughs> I mean, if anybody wants to go and get my free picks for the fairgrounds, which I enjoy doing we'll do for, the, for, for the Advocate. Uh, it's in the Advocate newspaper, so it's uh, the avid the advocate.com or nola.com uh, either one carry them on a, online i think on a daily basis so we got another couple weeks of fairgrounds i enjoy putting the free picks in there for people i put time into it not going so good this year but uh you know you never know i'm always live for to throw a 30 to one shot in there and see what happens so i think we both know uh, i think we're both uh have a mutual friend that works in at, for the athletic in uh, Catherine, uh, Catherine Terrell. Oh yeah. 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 She <laughs> yeah, started, she so. started in horse racing. She started, she, she was the advocate. Uh, she, I don't know how she yeah. got that assignment, but that's, yeah, she's, she's, she's gone on to much better things. Right, Andy. I mean, yeah, she, way better. <laughs> she's, she yeah, loves she horse racing. Have... She still follows it though. I know she's, she still tweets about it. So. Yeah, she'll tweet it. She'll text me and tell tell me something that she doesn't like, and I'll be like, "Like I agree with you. I agree with you." But yeah, she's she's a great writer. Yeah, she is they a great. Actually, writer. look her up. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. It's nice to have people that are that are champions of the NHC and um, advocates for horse racing and for horses themselves. And we really appreciate the fact that you took some time out of your busy day to come on with us no thanks for having me you can tell i enjoy passionate about talking about it so uh i'm willing and able to do it again and i can't wait to see both of you somewhere in person in 2021 that would be awesome yes thanks thanks again that would be fun have a have a good one mike all right thank you that was michael bay chalk uh former 
uh, NHC champion. That's Caitlin Free. And next week, Caitlin asked a question about the breeding programs and the caps. And I decided to reach out to my friend, Sean Feld, and he's going to come on next week. And we're going to discuss all things breeding. And in, we're going to discuss his his uh, his two stallions he has for climax stallions, and uh, we'll have some fun with him too because uh, I've known Sean since he was a baby, so that pretty much tells you how old I am. Well, we like to have fun, so I'm excited to have him, and this is going to be an interesting conversation. And if you are still listening to us after the Michael Bay Chalk interview please know that uh caitlin free is doing a lot of international coverage for us with Cheltenham uh festival goes on until friday i think or saturday uh don't ask me it's all about hurdles but she's been on fire there as usual when it comes to the international and check out our dubai world cup coverage beginning the week of dubai uh, world cup we'll have information on everything going on in regards to the dubai world cup Hopefully we can get Laura King on again to discuss it a little bit if it's not too busy for her. But anything else you need to pitch out, Caitlin? No, just wanted to remind everybody to follow the Cheltenham picks as well as your picks for this weekend. Um, Cheltenham goes on until Friday. We still have the Ryanair chase left and also the Gold Cup. Those are the next two big events over the next couple of days. So we will have picks out and we will be tweeting from at G-O-A-T handicapping in the morning and you can always start watching the races at 9 a.m eastern time or 6 a.m pacific time have a good week folks